Spirit of God. So uh, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm just going to unpack uh, this verse for us. Now, we, um, we're a kingdom people. The message that Jesus proclaimed was the message of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God coming. He would present it to people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, if you see these things, the, the kingdom of God is, is right before you. But it's important for us to understand that uh, when, we're, when we're speaking of the kingdom of God coming, the glory of God coming, the presence of God coming, that there is a, there is a fruit that is produced in the life of individuals and churches and regions that would reflect the coming of the kingdom of God. And it's not just one thing to rightly receive uh, the gift of what God is doing, but also to interpret and to act in accordance uh, with what God is doing. So it says here, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So Paul here is talking in the book of Romans about, you know, food and, and drink and different arguments that were happening in the church. And Paul pulls it out. He's talking about, look, the main thing is love. But really, you've got to get away from uh, getting caught up in, the, in all the rules and regulations and the ins and outs of different things. Because the kingdom of God is not about that. But it's about righteousness. It's about peace. And it's about joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. So what is righteousness? Well, righteousness, essentially, you could look at as being right standing with God. So we are positionally made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. So it's called the great exchange, where Jesus takes our sinfulness and he gives us his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. So before the Lord, and we've been kind of, you know, highlighting these things ever since Heart Revolution, that we are positionally right before God. We have right standing before Him. And as I mapped out the other week, it was something that God did, not us. So we didn't choose it. We didn't work for it. We didn't act in a particular way to make it happen. God said, because of my son, I am now imputing righteousness to you. You have received it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't work for it. I gave it to you as a free gift. Hallelujah. Amen. So positionally, we are right before God. But relationally, we're not always so. So relationally, it is the manifestation of God's character through you. Righteousness is the alignment of your heart with your new identity in Christ. So he says, this is who I've made you to be before me. But now this is what I want you to be before the world. So you are, you, there is nothing more that God needs to do to make you right with Him. But there's a whole lot that we can do to be relationally in deeper fellowship with the Lord and manifestly, um, you know, showing greater righteousness to the world. And that's important for God because I even read um, this morning in Psalms, you know, it talks about where um, the scepter of God, of His kingdom is, is uprightness. Or you could say righteousness, that the, the way that God rules, He rules through righteousness. So His people, if He needs a righteous people in order to rule through His people. God can't rule the nations, which is His design for the church is to rule the nations. Do you understand that? The church's role is to govern nations, disciple nations. Now that's not in the way that the world would see it through domination and, and control and overpowering in that kind of way but it's through service and walking in the authority of Christ and all of those sorts of things. But we are called to, to be a governing body in the nations. 
But the Lord can't govern through an unrighteous people because his government is not going to come about, is it? Our government might come about. (laughs) And unfortunately, sometimes we see in the church things that don't reflect the nature and the heart of God. So he needs a righteous people in order to govern through his people. So it's the alignment of our heart with our identity in Christ. Righteousness is the fruit of Christ in us, but it is also the seed that we sow to produce the reality of the kingdom within and around us. So you understand that when the righteousness of God gets put in us, it naturally is going to produce fruit in our life. As we yield ourselves to it, it's going to produce fruit. So it's fruit that comes from our life. So as I follow Jesus, as I'm led by the Holy Spirit, righteousness is going to come out in my life. Yeah, but it's also the seed that I sow. So when I walk in righteousness, I'm also sowing a seed that's going to produce more fruit. So I can't just sit back and go, well, God's going to figure it out. I'll just do nothing and expect that righteousness is just going to flourish in my life. Well, no, I have a responsibility to pursue righteousness in my life. Would you agree? Amen. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified so there is a purpose for god to not just positionally make you right with him so that one day you'll go to heaven but he has planted a seed of righteousness in you that you would grow up to be an oak of righteousness that you would stand forth that people would see your good works and praise god but they are overflow works yeah they're not just externally trying to do all the right things that's called rightness but righteousness is when the seed of righteousness is planted, when I come into agreement with it and I walk those things out, that I start to grow and produce a righteousness that becomes a blessing to the nations. It becomes a blessing to those around us. And we become uh, people who are faithful and trustworthy to carry the things of God. Colossians 1, to 23 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which is being proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which i paul became a minister so god's purpose is to reconcile these two things together And now I know I'm positionally, again, positionally I'm reconciled to God. I've been made right with God. But now there's a reconciliation even between my heart and the Spirit of God, my heart and my new identity in Christ, bringing those two realities together. So to reconcile this Latin is read, so to do again, and conciliare is is to bring back together. So it's bringing these two things back together. And so for us and God, we have been reconciled to God in that kind of way. Yes? Positionally, we understand that. You ought to give me some amens, at least a nod of the head, something, a blink of one eye, a twitch, um, you know, something so I know that you're, that you're still with me. 
So we've been reconciled positionally, but relationally we're also being reconciled. These things are being brought back together. And you look here, it says, He is reconciled in His body by, of flesh by His death in order that He might present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So He's reconciled you in order that He might present you holy, blameless and above reproach. And we think, okay, good, so He's done that. Okay, so he's done all of that work. Well, no, he's done the reconciliation work in order that the other things might come about. Because he says, if indeed you continue. So he's like, it's, it's, not, it's not a done deal that you're going to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, your right standing with God is fixed. It's unchangeable. It's immovable. But relationally, that reconciliation is something that we actually have a responsibility to walk in. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed under all creation under heaven. So we understand he's reconciled us, he's brought us back together, but then relationally we're, we're to come back into that reality as well. And I, love, I just love to think about our hearts being reconciled to our new creation identity, the, the two things coming back together. So to reconcile means to bring back together, to restore right relationship, to bring into agreement and alignment. You are positionally reconciled and righteous, but we are on a journey of being internally and relationally reconciled. Your behavior doesn't change your position, but it does affect your relationship. You can do whatever you want in the kingdom. And it's not going to shift your right standing before God because it's not dependent upon you. But it is going to affect your relationship. It's going to affect your relationship with people. It's going to affect your relationship with God. It's going to affect the uh, overflowing and the, and the growth and the holiness and the blamelessness and the above reproachness of God being produced in you. Because we can say, well, you know, well, what's really, what's the point? What's the point in being transformed into his likeness? What's the point in, in being righteous if I could just do whatever I want and I'm still going to go to heaven? Well, Part of the issue is that you've been taught a gospel that's a gospel of the future. That's for, for, for probably a few hundred years we've been living under this where the, the main thing that is proclaimed is that we talk about give your life to Jesus and you'll go to heaven. That wasn't the message of Jesus. It was, it was come and follow me and you'll experience the reality of the heavenly realm today. I don't want you to go to heaven. I want heaven to come to you. I want heaven to come to earth. God is reconciling your heart with his spirit through the journey of righteousness. And this is a yielding, not a striving. Again, I'm yielding my heart to my new creation identity. It's not a, like I've got to grip my teeth and bear it. You've got to yield. You know what? Sometimes it's so much harder just to yield, to stop, to lay down, to let go. How much harder is that than striving sometimes? Yeah, we want to strive. I gotta, you know, sometimes it's because we're self-righteous and we want to, you know, prove ourselves. You know, I can do this and, and whatever because all of our, remember I wrote, Drew, the other week, the foundation that we've built upon ourselves. I have to do it because I've built my life on my own foundation. But we come to this place that, well, God's done it all. And the reality is that it's only His grace that's going to produce anything good in my life. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So He gives grace to those who yield. He gives grace to those who let go of control. He gives grace to those who, who just present themselves before Him. And grace is the empowering presence of God. 
A lot of times, I think, again, the message of grace is it's almost like this unconditional favor. No matter what, even if you're the worst in the world, God's grace comes and he just covers all of your sin. But the fact is, that is presented in that scripture, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, which means grace is conditional. If you stand in pride, God's going to stand against you. He's going to oppose you. And that's the worst place you could ever possibly be in life, I think. How many times have we tried? And I mean, I've tried to stop this so many times. I've tried to overcome this sin. I've tried to have breakthrough in this era. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm tired. Why isn't it changing? Why isn't it happening? You know why? Because God's got his hand on your forehead and he's saying you're not going anywhere. Well, no wonder it's hard. The God, the creator of the universe is opposing you. Now, it doesn't mean he's not against you. But I do, I imagine it. You know, if one of my sons came up to me and I put my hand there for it, they could fight and push as hard as they want. Like, come on, let me through. And I can, well, it's not going to take a lot of effort to keep you there. But as soon as I say, okay, I'm going to stop striving. What does the Lord do? He doesn't then just, okay, well, I'll, I'll let you go and do it now. He comes behind me and he gives us a push forward. That's the grace of God. When we step into email and say, God, I can't do it. I failed, Lord. I've tried so hard and I just can't do it. God's like, hallelujah. Finally, finally we can do something. Finally we can make something of your life because you stopped trying to control everything that's going on. And it's embarrassing. Yeah? You've ever been through that journey? It's kind of embarrassing. It's like, oh my gosh, I put in so much effort and I got nowhere. But with the grace of God, you can go wherever he wants you to go. But it's a stream. It's a river. That you let go, stop swimming against the current. So righteousness is a heart issue, not a behavior issue. So often we would look at, oh, that person's so righteous. Well, it's because we're seeing their external behavior and we're making a judgment based on that or an assessment based on their external behavior. But righteousness is a heart issue, okay? It manifests itself in behavior sometimes, except if you're self-righteous, then you've got unrighteousness in your heart that you're protecting through your external behavior so some people they do all the right things but in their heart jeepers it's not nice that was the pharisees that was the religious leaders in jesus day and you talk about you know you clean the outside of the cup but the inside's disgusting and dirty who would like to drink from a mug that oh look it's all nice and clean on the outside if that was filled with mold no thanks I'd rather it be moldy on the outside and clean on the inside. I guess the vodka would kill the germs anyway. But <laughs> So righteousness is always a hard issue. If you're seeing unrighteous behavior in your life, it's in here. Okay, so this is what we need to focus on, that production of righteousness in here. You know, Elijah House in the prayer ministry, they talk about um, evangelizing the unbelieving parts of the human heart. So we evangelize, we're, we're proclaiming the good news that Jesus has done all the work and you just have to yield, you just have to appropriate, you just have to let it come about in your life. Now you might have to repent, you might have to forgive, you might have to come into agreement with God's ways of doing things. But at the end of the day, it's all Him. He's already done it and now He's just appropriating it in your life. So we've got the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. But I believe that righteousness produces a peace which allows us to enter into joy. It's like the three of them kind of work together. 
Because I don't know about you, but when there's unrighteousness in my life, I, I struggle to have peace and I struggle to have joy. All right, I'm going to read some scriptures for you just to make it official. I know, I know. That's it. The religious ones among you can. <laughs> can laugh at that. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hallelujah. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Now, again, we're not talking about right standing with God. We're talking about the manifestation of His righteousness through your life. Matthew 5.20 For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Damn. Well, they were, I mean, they were, they were pretty righteous people externally. <laughs> they had all of the boxes ticked in that kind of way. So I think there's two elements to this, and, and people will translate it in different ways. Some will say, well, look, that just shows that, you know, God is, Jesus does all the work. And I'm like, absolutely. So your right standing is done by Jesus. It's his righteousness, not your own. Okay, so our righteousness, therefore, positionally exceeds that of the Pharisees. Because they didn't rely, they weren't relying on Christ for their right standing before God. They were relying upon their behavior, their, their religious observance. Okay? But at the same time, I think that when you're talking about, you know, in this context of cleaning the inside of the cup, that actually if you do a heart journey, if you're yielded to the spirit of righteousness in you, and you start to see that production, that I also believe that there can be a, a righteousness produced in your life that exceeds that of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that, that exceeds that of the religious elite. Because it's an overflow, it's a genuine production of God's work in you. Just a thought. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness for, uh, before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So we're saying again, don't, you know, don't go and flaunt it, don't go and throw it about. And you won't need to when it's a genuine production of righteousness because it's nothing spectacular it's just well that's just who i am you know that's what god's looking for he's not looking for a whole lot of actors he's not looking for hypocrites he's not looking for people who do the right things he's looking to see the embodiment of christ produced in his people and i, I think this is a revelation for for a lot maybe my disclaimer maybe for nobody but possibly <clears throat> You know, in the body of Christ that we understand, he's wanting to actually reproduce himself in us, that we would embody his very nature. And we do, we have the Spirit of God. You have the mind of Christ, which is the Spirit of God. So all the thoughts of God are dwelling in you by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 1, talks about the Spirit searches everything, even the mind of God. The Spirit of God knows all the thoughts of God, and he's dwelling in you, Okay. All, you have all access to all power, all authority. There is nothing lacking within you to see the production of Christ in you. There is nothing lacking. I think too often we look outside of Christ in us 
you know, in order for those things. But it's all there. Hallelujah. All right, so that is righteousness, a, a, not just a right standing before God, but a manifestation of the very nature and heart of God. So what is peace? Well, peace is not the absence of chaos around you, but rather the absence of chaos within you. That is real peace. When that chaos of my heart becomes settled and comes into alignment with God. He is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. God is not stressed. God is not worried about the current circumstance in the world. God is not worried about Muslim extremists. God's not worried about these things. He's got it in the bag. <laughs> He's a God of peace. And not just a God like, oh, I would like to see peace around the place. He is, a God. He is peace. It's just part of His nature. Peace from God is possible even when our circumstances are chaotic. That's real peace when you're in the midst of chaos around you and yet you're set, settled in peace. It doesn't make any sense. You know, the Bible talks about peace that surpasses understanding. That means peace that is not comprehensible by your natural mind. It's like I'm either a fool or I'm experiencing a reality of the heavenly realm that doesn't make any sense. Because right now, everything is hitting the fan and spreading all over the place and yet I'm sitting in perfect peace. That's crazy. You know, I've had those experiences. I'm thinking something's wrong. <laughs> when this, is, this is not good. It's going to end. <laughs> so peace is a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an overflow of the reality of God within you. Amen? People can fall into the trap of trying to create peaceful circumstances, but they end up avoiding the chaos of their hearts. So sometimes we can step into this, into this false peace where it's like, I'll get everything in my life in order. I'll remove all negative relationships. I'll, remove, I'll avoid all risky situations. I won't say anything or do anything bad i'll say all of the right things i'll please people i'll do all this stuff and then i'll feel at peace i'll get my finances in order so i won't take risks for, i won't be generous because then i might need that money so i'm just gonna do everything that i can to create an environment of peace around me i'm going to control people in their environment i'll avoid uncomfortable circumstances or i'll just walk in complete ignorance and blindness to what's going on around me just like it's all good it's all good i'll just ignore those things denial but see the problem is we create all this stuff but we're not actually experiencing peace so as soon as one of those bricks you know tumbles off the wall everything falls in a heap but we can say you know what that i actually have access to the spirit of god the very peace of god dwelling within me and as my heart comes into alignment as my mind and my thinking and my thought life comes into alignment with the reality of god in me then peace can flow and my circumstance can be chaotic, and yet I'm living in peace. That's it. Sleeping on the boat like Jesus. Amen. Man, I need to consult you guys. You guys are gold. Next time, I'll write them in. You know, Eastern meditation seeks peace through the removal of thoughts, the removal of negativity. But kingdom peace is the presence of God in every area of our heart. You know, I know, I know someone... 
and they are um, they're into kind of Eastern spirituality and they do uh, meditation, all of those sorts of things. And I think, you know, um, they, they seem like a really peaceful person. Um, but I also know that they're not married and they don't have children. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> that makes a whole lot of sense. I think I'd be a lot more peaceful too. But that's the thing. So we avoid like situation. No, that's going to cause that. But I think I'm in peace. But you're not. You're just your circumstances in peace. But you're not in peace. I know people, I wonder where people, you know, who become a little obsessive, compulsive about stuff, controlling of their environment. I think, because I know it was for me, that had a lot to do with internal chaos in my heart. I'd, I'd feel anxiety, so I'd, so I'd control my situation. Particularly if I traveled somewhere, I, would, I was like massive overpacker. Okay, because I thought if I pack all of this stuff and I have all of, all of the amenities that I might need right at my disposal. So if I'm in a foreign place which would make me uncomfortable and unsure and anxious, I've got all of my things here that can feed peace to me, give me comfort if I need. Okay? I had some prayer ministry, felt like God's delivered me from that. So I go places now and I think about the fact like, I didn't even think about what to pack. Whereas before I'd be like lists and I'd be like this and I'm like, I, I, I might possibly need that. So I literally went, this is years ago, I went to a Hillsong conference and it was, yeah, probably like 2000, 2002, around that time. And, uh, and I, I bought a mini disc player. Everyone knows what I mean. They weren't very popular. But I had one of these and I wanted, you know, to have enough music. So I literally packed my mum's CD player, which is like a box CD player. You know, like almost the size of this thing, about that thick into my suitcase just in case I wanted to load some more music so I had to put them on CD and then send them out to the thing and like that's how like that was I was mental but see for me I didn't realize that was that was just me trying to control my environment see when I'm at home it's like I know where everything is I know where to get stuff I know I can just duck down the shops and get that sort of stuff but for me if I was in a foreign place I'd get that anxiety so the Lord healed me and now I don't have that anymore. Hallelujah. Peace is not the absence of war. It is the presence of God. And righteousness produces peace because our internal world is coming into alignment with the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So my heart's coming into, in righteousness, everything's coming into order. It's being reconciled, coming back into order, back into alignment. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So what is joy? Well, joy is much more than happiness. Um, but I actually found this little video. It's about nine minutes long from a guy called John Piper. And, uh, and so I just thought, he just explains it really well. And so I just figured, well, watch that. As we begin this series on joy in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, it seemed good to me that we should probably begin with a definition of joy. Uh, definitions, as I'm sure you know, are simply descriptions of the way people use words. Words don't have intrinsic definitions. They're given definitions by the way people use them. So groups and societies use words and 
individuals use words. So when I say I want to uh, define joy for you before we dig into how it's used in Philippians, I have to ask, well, whose joy am I talking about or what usage am I talking about? And so very clearly, I mean joy as the Apostle Paul uses it in his letters and particularly in, in the book of Philippians. So I'm not just asking about the meaning of joy in general. I'm talking about uh, Christian joy as Paul, the Apostle, uses it. So let me give you my definition and then um, take it apart one piece at a time. Christian joy, as Paul understands it, is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So let's take those one at a time. Christian joy is a good feeling. And by that I mean it's not an idea, it's not a conviction, it's not a persuasion, it's not a decision, it's a feeling, or I use the words interchangeably here, an emotion. And one of the marks of the difference between an idea and an emotion or a feeling is that you don't have immediate control over your feelings or your emotions. You can't snap your finger or decide to feel something. So, for example, if you're camping, I'm going to go camping in a few weeks, and it's the middle of the night, and you wake up, and there's this, like, this gigantic silhouette of a bear outside your tent, grizzly bear. He seems hungry. Maybe he's wounded. You don't say, no, let me think about this. There's bear. Bears are big. Bears are dangerous. Conclusion, I should feel fear here, so I will now decide to be afraid. Emotions don't work like that. Thinking works like that but emotions don't. It happens to you, which means that the Bible is filled with commands that we do things that are immediately outside our control to do. Commands to rejoice, commands to fear, commands to be grateful, commands to be tenderhearted. One of the reasons I'm the kind of Christian I am with the theology that I have is that I know as I read the Bible, it requires of me things that I cannot immediately, by a decision, produce. I'm fallen, I'm sinful, and yet I know I should be having those emotions in this moment where the Bible expects me to have them, and therefore I know myself guilty. And so this is huge. Uh, St. Augustine said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. And so he knew that there were emotions toward God commanded of him. He couldn't make happen just like that. And so he said, oh God, if you're going to command me these things, grant that you would give them when you command them. So the first part of this definition is it is a good feeling. Second part, it is in the soul. And by that, I'm drawing attention to the fact that it's not in the body. The soul, the immaterial part of my personhood, experiences joy. And the body may have effects of that. 
I may get butterflies in the stomach. I may get a brightness to my step with joy. My eyelids may flutter. There may be tears of joy rolling down my face. But none of those effects in the body are joy. They are distinct. The body is chemicals and muscle and nerve and uh, made up of electrons and atoms and molecules. And when those things move, that's not a moral event. So the body doesn't have right and wrong. A movement of my arm back and forth has no moral significance until I tell it by my will or my emotion to punch somebody and then it becomes bad or hug somebody in need, then it becomes good. But it's my soul that is imparting virtue, right or wrong, to the physical dimensions of my life. And the Bible clearly says it's right to feel joy in God. It's wrong to be anxious about this situation. And therefore, there's a rightness and a wrongness to these emotions. And therefore, they're not mere bodily movements. They are movements of the soul. That's number two. The third part of the definition is these movements of the soul are produced by the Holy Spirit, which is clear because I cannot make these things happen. They're called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. So my, my joy in my soul, overflowing towards God, is coming from the work of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth piece is that he does this, the Holy Spirit does this, not magically without my mind being engaged. He does it by causing me to see the glory, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.1 says, rejoice in the Lord. Well, how do you rejoice in the Lord if you don't know anything about the Lord? How do you rejoice in the Lord if you're not seeing things about the Lord that cause joy to rise up in your heart? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just flick a switch and you rejoice with no uh, mental content whatsoever. The Holy Spirit is given, according to John 16, 14, to glorify Jesus Christ, which means the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of my heart to see the beauty of Christ. And when I see Christ in all that he's done, in all that he is, then my heart is drawn out in joy towards him. So the Holy Spirit bears this fruit by causing us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And the last piece, the fifth piece, is we see him in his word and in the world. It's obvious that the most authoritative and the clearest place where we see the beauty of Christ is in his word. That's why the Holy Spirit, who is charged to glorify Christ, inspired the word so that we could read the word, know the Christ, have eyes to see the beauties that call joy up out of our hearts. But it's not just in, in the word that we see Christ. We see him in his gifts, in people. We see him in his gifts of nature. We see him in his gifts of food and all the good things that our Father in heaven gives to us. 
every gift of Christ to us is intended to be a communication of something of himself. And so we see Christ not only, we taste Christ not only in his word, but also in his works. So when we take up joy in Philippians now, and it's incredibly important place, not only in the book, but in the Christian life and in God's whole scheme of things, the definition that I'm, I'm working with is joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and in his work. Amen. It's much easier than preaching. <laughs> so. so righteousness, peace, and joy are in the Holy Spirit. They're found in Him. They're produced by Him. They're not outside of a work of God in you. Okay, very important to remember. And these are realities to pursue in our lives. They don't come by default. You know, Bill Johnson uh, says something along the lines of, you know, in the kingdom, everything you need will be given to you, but everything you want, you'll have to go after. So these are realities. You know, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Seek, go after these things. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, they shall be filled. So these, these elements, are, they're things that we go after. They're like, wow, this is a gift for me that I get to receive, that I get to be blessed with, I get to to go after in this way. They're good things. And as I said before, you know, counterfeits of all, of all three of these things can be produced by hiding, by ignorance, by avoiding the heart. So we don't want to be producing counterfeits of peace, counterfeits of joy, counterfeits of righteousness. We, we, have, the auth- we have access to the authentic. So it's important to, to pursue those things. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about the, the gospel of the kingdom and, uh, and a little bit of um, etymology of the word gospel. Does that sound good? Are you excited? Pumped. I'm pumped. <clears throat> so we have the word gospel and Jesus preached. Did you close the lid? So Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, you've all heard that. Understand, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So the word gospel comes from, it's the, the old English, Godspil. Yeah, so the word gospel comes from Godspil, which means good news. Okay, so we have Good news, the meaning of the word in the Greek that we get the word gospel from is good news. Okay, so somebody, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It was good news. And this was something that was, um, at at the time, people understood it when uh, there was victory out on the battlefield. They would send a runner back with the good news proclaiming the victory of the battle. Okay, so when Jesus goes about, he's proclaiming a victory. 
that God's kingdom has come to rule and to reign, and it is good news, okay? So good news, gospel in the Old English, which becomes the English word gospel that we use today. Now, where the word good news comes from, and we get is from the Greek word, euangelion. Okay, so the Greek word euangelion, which you would see translated as gospel or good news in your English translations of the Bible, euangelion is the Greek word, which means good news. Yes, so euangelion, teis basileia, the good news of the kingdom. And then we get what's called a transliteration from the Greek into the Latin. Evangelium. That sound like something. What is it? Evangelism. So we get then the word evangelism from the word euangelion. So when we evangelize, when we proclaim the gospel, it's all the same thing. We understand. We're proclaiming. So evangelism is the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom or the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. Or, yes, so we understand that. So to euangelion, someone is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Okay. So we understand that in evangelism, in proclaiming the gospel, we are proclaiming and we're declaring a reality of God's kingdom. Okay, so it's not just words, it's not, a, it's not just um, getting someone to agree that Jesus is Lord. Jesus went about introducing, there's a whole new reality that I'm presenting. My kingdom has now come to earth. It has been inaugurated on the earth and you have access to that kingdom. And that is what is good news. The good news that we have to share with the world is, is an encounter with a living God. Jesus didn't preach a gospel for the future. He presented the reality of the kingdom in the now. So again, we've, we've been caught for, for several generations now being, give your life to Jesus and you'll go to heaven. The question, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? <gasps> I don't know, I might go to hell. I better pray that prayer so I don't go to hell. It's not a motivation that Jesus used. Jesus didn't use the fear of hell to get people to come into agreement with him. That would be manipulation and control. That would be ungodly. So that raises a question in my mind. <laughs> How many prayers have been prayed because of, out of fear? A loving God that is presenting himself to a broken world and then somebody takes that message, utilizes fear to get someone to raise their hand or to pray a prayer so they can tick the box. It's like, we've missed it. Because what's that person been invited into? They've been invited into a relationship with a dictator. With a God who is fearful and angry and going to punish me if I don't do what he says. That's not access and invitation into a whole new realm of bliss and beauty and life and abundance. And love and fellowship with a God who loves, the God who is love. So we've got to understand when we're presenting, when we're evangelizing people, we're not trying to get them across the line. We're presenting a reality, a new reality for, the pe for people. And it's good news. When Jesus proclaimed the gospel, he said it was at hand. People could engage with it then and there. 
I don't know how many people have just said, I'll pray a prayer, and now I just do different things. I go somewhere different on a Sunday morning. Instead of sleeping in, I go to church. Instead of reading magazines, I read my Bible. Instead of just talking to myself, I talk to God. Instead of listening to secular music, I listen to Christian music. It's been a great exchange, but it's just stuff. You know, you just shifted what you do and maybe what you think about. But if you actually entered into the reality of a whole new realm that is accessible to you, because that's the life that God has for His people. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It's powerful to change. It's powerful to heal. Powerful to transform. So a manifestation of God's kingdom or His glory will produce the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy. And if it doesn't, then we must question either the manifestation or our understanding of the point of the manifestation. So we can say, well, we're seeing some crazy things going on. And then we can say, well, either the manifestation wasn't true and accurate or the person didn't actually understand the point of the manifestation. When you have an encounter with God, it's not to say you can have an encounter with God or you can tell your friend, I had an encounter with God. It should be producing a fruit in your life. More righteousness, more peace, more joy. There's, there's, a, there's a fruit that should flow from that. Now, again, it's important that we don't look at other people and judge manifestations that are happening in other people's lives. You know, if someone's on the front row of the church, you know, half passed out, drunk in the spirit, <laughs> we don't judge that. Now, that might not be something you'd feel comfortable to do. And that might, and I'm just saying, I don't, I don't believe it is because I know Dan, but that could just be his flesh. I'm saying I don't believe it is, but it could be. But you know what I'd rather? I'd rather someone have a, a false expression or false manifestation of joy than a real and true manifestation of judgment. What's more dangerous? I'm, I'm, I've been to conferences, I've been to wacky conferences where people are just blasted, laughing, howling, falling over, all that sort of stuff. And sometimes you look and you go, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Or you see, or you go to several of them and you see the same people doing the same things all the time. It's like, hey, they just could be so free. Or maybe they're not. But I'm not going to stand in a place of judgment because I'm stepping into a place of condemnation, religiosity, unrighteousness. Okay, so I might look at something and say, hey, I don't know about that. But if I was in a situation where I saw that, you know what I'd do? I'd go and enter in. And I'd lay hands on them, I'd pray for them, ask them, hey, what's going on for you? Oh, no, I'm just feeling like this, you know, dark thing and it's making me laugh. It's like, okay, well, maybe that's not, maybe that's a counterfeit manifestation. Yeah, let's pray for it and deliver, you know, but people stand back. And sometimes it's because you don't like it, it's uncomfortable, whatever. Now, I understand if there's a manifestation going on and it's distracting and it's all of that sort of stuff. You can go and manifest in another room, <laughs> the good things of God. Um, but we don't, it's so important that we don't step into that place of judgment. As the kingdom comes and God's will is done on earth, we should expect to see a greater manifestation of righteousness, peace, and joy, and it should start in the church. People do, you know, um, I wouldn't judge them, but they could be, possibly, religious people, will judge like joy and laughter. Oh, you know, that's, you know, that's okay. The Bible says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. 
Okay, so, okay, so yes, it's in the Bible. We know that. What does fullness of joy look like? Probably mental, uncontrollable, laughing, hysteria, craziness. Yeah? That's in His presence. In His presence, there is fullness of joy, exploding, overwhelming joy. So it says to me, well, if I want to be a good Bible person, I better believe that, I better trust that God can do those sorts of things, because He does. So you might be living, I was going to say, I'll go this, God's glory isn't drunkenness or laughing or falling over. That's not His glory. there these are experiences this is simply how our body responds to his presence this is how we respond to his glory i think people ask me why do people fall down when you know, sometimes when they get prayed for or feel electricity in their body well the fact is your body is is filled with electronic impulses, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes God comes in His power. And I think sometimes God's presence becomes so strong, it literally like it like shortcuts your brain. <laughs> and it does. You just go, and then, you know, fall on the floor. That's what I think. I've seen people do that. And I, like, and I, know, I know those people, they are, not, they are not fallers, you know. They're not people that are just going to give a, you know, courtesy for. And I've, just, I've seen people just drop under the power of God. And that's what I think. I think, I just think they've just been overwhelmed, so overwhelmed with God's presence in that moment that their body doesn't know what to do with itself. So overwhelmed with joy, they just can't, they're uncontrollable in their laughter. This was what happened at Pentecost. All of these people, they weren't drunk, but they looked and they were behaving as if they were. So we'd say, oh, that person's drunk in the spirit or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but they're not. That intoxicating effect... It's simply how the body is responding to the presence of God, manifesting. So God doesn't go around, oh, let's get this person drunk, let's get this person going laughing hard. Like he's just, he's pouring out his spirit. And the same spirit that comes and makes one person laugh might make another person sit in deep peace and rest. So again, what's happening in the room, you can have half the room laughing their head off, another half are bawling their eyes out, this half is, that's three halves. Um, <laughs> is, it's all right, it's in God, all things are possible. You know, this half is, is just laying and just resting in peace. And it's the same God. It's the same Spirit. But He's just showing Himself in different ways or we're responding in different ways to what God is doing. It's really important that we don't, that we don't seek the fruit of His presence, but we seek the very present one. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a fruit. He's a tree. That produces fruit. And it's so important that we don't live our lives eating the fruit and missing the tree. He's a person. He wants to be acknowledged. And whether he's producing a particular fruit at that moment or he's not, it's irrelevant. Holy moly, I've got lots more. <laughs> <clears throat> So you might be living in the opposite reality right now. And I'm not suggesting that you ignore your present state and live in ignorance. But there is another reality that God has designed for you and given you access to. So again, this is not a should. 
You know, even in that little sermon by John Piper, he's saying, you know, this is their, their overflow realities, their, their emotions, expressions, their experiences that must be an overflow for them to be authentic and long-lasting. So it's not saying, well, I'm feeling this way, Brad. Okay, I've got to I'll try and have joy. No, 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 it's not, that's not the point. It's not to be ignorant of your current heart situation. It's actually to acknowledge your heart and say, this is actually how I feel. And I know that's a truth and a reality, but just because you feel that way, that's also not the absolute ultimate truth. I've had times where I've just not felt in a good place. And I think, you know, literally a couple of um, Tuesdays ago, and uh, Daniel and I were hanging out, and he was having, having a good time, and I wasn't in a good place. I just wasn't feeling it. I was like, eh, whatever. And we're, we're chatting and talking. We're in this room here. And I was just like, man, I, I really don't feel like praying but I just know that I should pray. <laughs> so I was like, so, and Daniel's talking, and, uh, and he took a breath, so I said, Daniel, we need to pray. <laughs> and so we did, and just started getting, just feeling intoxicated, just start laughing and whatever, and Cher was here doing some cleaning, John was here painting, and then, then Daniel's like, man, we need to pray for Cher, so we get Cher in, and we're just, we're just off our face in the best of ways and it was so good and it brought me into this place to say that's right I don't need to okay well I'm at step one I've got to do step two I've got to sort out that thing and I've got to do step three okay then I'll feel that and then oh, once I get into step four then I'll be able to experience the fullness of God I'll be able to experience the, the peace of God or the joy of God whatever it might be now God can take you from zero to a hundred in a second and that's a good thing <laughs> so we can be literally picked up out of our circumstances and plonked into a place and it might just be for a, a moment for a season for a taste of that reality and sometimes we do and I think when we go and we have you know someone prays for you have this amazing experience with God that's God giving you a taste of what he has in the in the constancy of your life that is available to you 24 hours a day seven days a week and often I know for me I just feel like I'm not worthy to enter into that place so that's why I don't then well god i haven't prayed much this week so i just don't feel like i can come before you and ask for you just to pour out your, your glory on me and that's a lie because i even when he does do that it's not because i deserve it it's because he's a good father he determines what he gives out i just have to determine whether i'm ready to receive so some of us need to repent from our sin some of us need to have a revelation of the Father's love. Some of us need to be healed from the wounds of the past in order to enter into these realities. And some of us just need to get drunk on His love and have a good Holy Ghost laugh. So I'm saying you might be in a place where it's like you're walking in sin, you need to repent of your sin, you need to deal with that sort of stuff. There might be unforgiveness, judgments, whatever it was. Go through that process, get some prayer ministry, clean out the closet of those things that have been keeping you bound. You might have wounds from the past that are just keeping you, I'm just, I'm just so stuck in this place. You might have even physical things going on in your body, chemical imbalance that's causing these things. Or you might just be in a place like, you know what, it's none of those things. You just need to let go. You just need to have a drink. And just have a laugh. <laughs> so what robs us of righteousness, peace and joy? I believe two primary things is, not knowing who we are and not knowing who God is. So when I don't know who I am, then I don't feel like that's even part of me. I don't have that right standing before God. I don't know my identity in Christ. I don't know the inheritance that He has given to me. 
Or if I don't know who God is, then I stand in this place of just, well, no, I deserve punishment. And I'm just waiting for him to discipline me and give me and bad stuff. I deserve this because that's who God is. But he is so good. And when you think that you've reached the, the, the excessiveness of his goodness, there's more. Moses, he says to God, God, I want to see your glory. Let your glory pass before me. But what does God show him? His goodness. Yeah. I know. And because I remember, this, this is probably a year ago, I had this revelation. It's like, he, sh- he showed his goodness. So goodness isn't an attribute of his nature, just an attribute of his nature. It's a very tangible reality of his presence. That's how good he is. It literally emanates from him. And you can have a simple, you can just have an experience of his goodness. Hallelujah. So how can we enter into these kingdom realities? How can we enter into more manifest righteousness? Well, do the heart journey. Submit yourself to people. Ask for a greater manifestation of God's righteousness in you. Ask for His grace. Say, God, I cannot do it. I've tried and I've failed over and over again. I'm letting go. I'm stepping out of pride. I'm stepping into humility. Sometimes that humility, humiliation is going to someone and say, I'm struggling with this. I need God's grace because I can't overcome it on my own. Learn what a righteous life looks like. Study the life of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Say, that's, that's a righteous man right there. That's what a righteous life looks like. And don't take those scriptures that are hard to, um, to apply and put them for, into the future. Oh, when he, when he said, turn the other cheek, he, uh, he meant something else. He meant, he meant, turn their cheek and hit them with a right. You know, like it's, no, no I'm pretty sure. He was a peaceful God. Anyway, so deal with the legal requirements of the kingdom. So that's what we're saying, like through prayer ministry, something like that. Go through repentance, go through forgiveness, go through deal with judgments, all that sort of stuff. Develop safe relationships where you can remain open and vulnerable and where you can receive truth and correction. So you need safe relationships where I can be open and vulnerable, okay? But I can also receive truth and correction, being open and vulnerable is great, but if there's nobody at, at the same time that can say, and this is the truth that you need to hear. Two things must be present. Peace. How do we produce more peace, see more peace in our life? We need to yield ourselves to God. So it's a yielding. Peace comes from yielding. Peace comes from letting go. Peace comes from surrender, from not controlling. Take note of what robs you of peace and then repent of any wrong belief systems you have. So what robs you of peace? What are you thinking? What's processing at the time? And I, I, I talk to people uh, often about, you know, what, what we think is not as important as how we think. How we think is the framework of our thought life that can lead us into thinking unpeaceful, unrighteous things. This is called a stronghold. It's an ungodly pattern of thought that has been wired into our brain. So if a situation happens and my first step is to think about what could possibly go wrong, how I'm thinking is the problem, not what I'm thinking. Because I'll think, what could go wrong? And then I'll say, well, this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. Okay, so I need to make sure then I do this and I don't do this and I don't do this. Okay, I feel like, yes, I'm, in, I'm kind of in control there, but I'm still anxious about it because what if this happens then? And maybe I won't get that right and maybe someone will find out this sort of thing. But you see, if I'd come back to here and said, the problem is uh, that I entered into the thought of, but what if it all goes wrong? 
So I have a pattern of thinking. But often we get so far down this rabbit warren of thinking that we get ourselves stuck and we can't get ourselves back out again. Does that make sense? What you think is is not as important as how you think. And that's what we do. So then we repent of those wrong belief systems. Maybe we get to a point where we go, what am I believing about God? I think I'm scared that if I make the wrong choice, God is going to punish me. Well, is that who God is? Well, no, he says that he's not that. He can't punish you because he punished his son on your behalf. So it'd be unrighteous for him to punish you. Hallelujah. Revelation. You might be able to come to that place yourself or you might need somebody else to speak that truth in and say, what are you believing about God? What are you believing about who you are in Christ? I so feel like I'm worthy for God to, well, you know, I don't feel like he'll protect me. Okay, well, what's that about? Well, my father was never present to protect me. Okay, now we've got a judgment. You know, like, you see how the, how the pattern kind of works. You'll figure it out. <clears throat> uh, so a lot of us lack peace because of ungodly thought patterns. So these are strongholds. This isn't always as overt as, as thinking of like murdering somebody. Though well, that's an ungodly thought. Well, yes, it is. But you also might, it might be more subtle, like being worried about your finances, which could be a result of not seeing God as a trustworthy provider. That is as, like, that's an ungodly thought pattern. To be worried about your finances, I'm not saying that they're as ungodly, but that's, that's you need to take notice of that as, as much as if you want to murder someone who cut you off in traffic. Because both of those things are going to rob you of peace. Because both of those things are rooted in a lie. Maybe that person cut you off in traffic and they were actually the one that stole your money. Anyway, so joy. Joy, so peace comes from yielding, but joy comes from pursuing. We're going to seek out joy in this way. Put ourselves around joyful people. Joy is infectious, especially when it's fruit of the Holy Spirit. And all of these realities can be imparted. If you know a joyous person, get around and say, can you pray for me? Can you just splash some of that joy on me? You know, I do. Who knows? When you, you know, when you hang around certain people and they're, they're overflowing with that Holy Spirit joy, get them to lay hands on you. All of a sudden, you start getting into the flow. But get around people. Don't surround yourself with negative, joyless people. Because joy is infectious in that way. I've seen, I've been in rooms where it's like one person starts laughing and then all of a sudden it spreads. And you know what? Even if I'm not, if it's not this overwhelming joy of the Holy Spirit, just having a laugh is good for your soul. All right, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Father. Why don't you just, just put your hand on the person next to you? We just thank you, Father God, for who we are in Christ, for the work that you have done, Lord, that is unchangeable, immovable. You have completed the work of righteousness, Lord. You have placed the spirit of righteousness, the spirit of peace, the spirit of joy, your fullness of joy inside of us, Lord. And I just ask, Father God, just for a digging of the wells, Father, a cleaning out of the wellspring of life within each individual, Lord. As you have put your spirit in them, Father, I pray that you would also release your spirit upon them, God, that those two things would come into alignment lord and the fullness of life that dwells in us by your spirit would begin to flow and to overflow lord that we would have joy encounters this week father just spontaneous lord as we're driving as we're sitting on the couch lord as we're as we're at work father we just feel that overwhelming sense of your presence lord and we would stand in a place and say i don't deserve this but it's mine 
<laughs> I don't deserve this, but it's been given to me. I don't deserve this, but it's my inheritance in Christ. Because this is the good Father that we serve. So we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We just pray, Father, for overwhelming peace to flood our hearts, Lord, that you would uproot God or bring revelation, Father, to those areas, those roots of that, that rob us of peace, Father. Those roots that rob us of righteousness, Lord. Those roots that rob us of joy, Father God. That you would shine your light, God. You would do all the work that you can do, Father. And you'd bring revelation so we can step into all the work that you have for us to do, Lord. For us to come into agreement with, Father. And Lord, we pray that you break off control of our lives, Lord. Help us to be a yielded people, Lord. A flippy, floppy, in the flow kind of people, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A, a slippery, slidey, greasy kind of go with the flow people, Lord. Thank you, Father. I just thank you for your oil of gladness, Lord, that just lubes us up, God, lets us slip all over the place, Father. I just thank you, Father, for that intoxication of your love, Lord. Lord, thank you, God. Woo! It's been a long time, Father, since I've been drunk in the natural. But I remember, I used to love everyone around me. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Everything was easy, Lord. But we thank you, Father, just for that same intoxication with your love, Lord. We'd be so overwhelmed, Father. And this is not to avoid the reality of our circumstance, Father, but it's to live in peace and righteousness and joy in spite of our circumstance, God. We thank you, Father, we are not ruled by our circumstance, God. We are ruled by Jesus Christ. You are the ruler of our lives, Lord. You are the ruler, God. You are the one who is on the throne. And if you are not on the throne, God, Lord, we step down and we say, Lord, take your place in our lives, Father. Take up that place of lordship, Jesus rule and reign in our lives and lord let us taste the flow and walk in the flow of the abundant stream of life that you've purchased for us lord that it is ours in christ lord thank you jesus thank you lord bless you father yeah thank you lord i just know uh tim uh, daniel's dad is uh, is here you're heading up to roeburn when next week so just to, it's been a long-term preparation from God, preparing him to, to go up there and God's just opening amazing doors. And we just want to lay hands on you and pray for you and bless you and, and send you in whatever capacity we can, we can send you. So uh, yeah, why don't you just, just stand where you are and we'll just gather around if you want to gather around and lay hands on him and we just want to bless you. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father, for the work that you are doing in Tim, Father. We thank you for the work that you are preparing and releasing in Roeburn, Father, and in those surrounding regions, Lord. And as I was praying before, God, I saw like a, a trail of fertility following behind you. Like everywhere you go, it's just going to produce fertile soil, Lord. I thank you for healing for the land, Lord. I thank you for, for his engagement, Lord. Open doors and favor, Lord, with indigenous leaders in the region, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that you are raising up, Father. Yes, Lord. I thank you that you're raising up, Lord, the, the original inhabitants of this land to bring healing, to bring leadership, to bring transformation, healing to the land, Father God. We just pray, Father, for an explosion, Lord, of the Aboriginal church, Father, in this nation, God. Bring salvation upon them, Lord. Bring salvation upon them, Father. Bring salvation upon them, Lord. Let them be the healers of the land, Father God. Sons and daughters raising up, Father, as the, as the earth is crying out, Father, for the raising up, Lord, 
that the groanings will cease, Father, because fruition is coming, Lord. Fruitfulness is coming, God. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use this man, Father, and those he connects with in whatever way you see fit, Father. And Lord, we just join with the church in this region, Father, in this city, and we send him, Father. We apostle him, God, to go in your grace, Lord, to go in your strength, to go in your power, to go in your yieldedness, God, to accomplish the works that you have in store for him, Father. We bless him, Lord. We we just pray for release of all resources, Lord. All resources, impartation of resource, resource, resource in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Abundance of resource, Lord. Open doors and favor. Grace and abundance in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, bless him, bless him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Go in peace and righteousness and joy. Love you guys.